Before we get started with today's show, I'm here to tell you about Brez Coffee Company, made by gamers for gamers right here on the Gulf Coast in Pensacola, Florida. Do you like lighter medium roast? Then try the Necro Medium, Holy Grail Light, or Stamina Boost. Or if you're like me and prefer darker roast, try the Critical Dark or the Coup Slayer Mocha Roast. But what if you can't pick just one? Then try one of their specialty sample packs, perfect for an all-night gaming or in the case of my fellow filmmakers, an all-night editing session. Forget about all the crappy coffee you've been buying at the grocery store and head on over to brezcoffeeco.com. Use the promo code DDE at checkout to get 10% off your order. Have you ever thought to yourself after listening to this podcast, why didn't Derek ask this question? Or why didn't he ask that question? I know I certainly have. Well, you get the chance to do that if you sign up for my Patreon at patreon.com slash ddiamondpodcast. You get the chance to ask guests of the show a question. If you're a fan of the top five list, you get the chance to vote on what the topic will be. You also get early access to episodes, accessibility to my film scripts, and so much more. And you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash ddiamondpodcast. And we want to thank our Patreon, Tim Spivey. Thank you so much for your continued contributions to the podcast. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast, where every week I take a look inside the world of film and television with those who have lived it and experienced it. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and coming up on today's show, you'll be hearing my conversation with actress and director Mika Borim, who recently directed her first feature film, Hollywood.com, which you can find on Amazon Prime. And this was a really fascinating conversation to have, not only in the sense that this was her first feature that she directed, and she tells some great stories about the making of Hollywood.com, but she's been in the industry for a long time. She's been acting since she was seven years old. And getting her insight into how the industry has changed since she got into it was really fascinating to me. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this conversation as much as I had uh, conducting it and being a part of it. And go check out Hollywood.com because it's a really fun and entertaining movie, which you'll hear all about momentarily. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Mika Borim. Welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast, and this week I'm happy to welcome filmmaker Mika Borim to the show. Mika, how are you? Hi, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. We were just uh, talking, like we're recording this in early June, and it's unusually cold out where you are in, in California. That's pretty crazy. That's right. Like the California big coat when it hits 60. <laughs> Shh, don't tell people in other places. I don't want people to hate on me for being cold and 60 degrees. <laughs> no, it's all good. You know, like some people like I, I can't imagine living up in like Minneapolis or anywhere in the Northeast where it's like 60 is summer is a hot summer for them. It's it's insane. It's so impressive. It's so impressive that they get out there in the snow too in the winter. I um, did a, a film and we were in the Poconos Mountains in the winter. And that was an interesting experience because I hadn't spent that much time in the winter in forever, um, you know, apart from like short trips. And we had uh, cars. And so like, I remember like trying to scrape, but not garages, so, like trying to scrape the ice off the car. And I was just like, wow, just adds a whole nother layer to, to getting out the door in the morning. Yeah, I went to Nashville about a year and a half ago on vacation. It was around November. And I remember I this was my fault for not really checking the weather, but I didn't know it was supposed to snow. So I walk outside because I stayed at an Airbnb. I walk outside and there's like a layer of ice on my windshield and the top of it's covered with snow. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Oh my gosh. I just had, I had a funny experience with Nashville um, just recently. So I was just there. And when I was there, it was very cold. And so I had a friend going a week later and I was like, my goodness, like make sure that you pack all cold weather clothes. So I guess he went and I got a call from him and he was like, I'm in my room. Everything's like 70 and 80. <laughs> I don't have anything to wear. <laughs> Blast the air conditioner. I was like, oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Mother Nature does what Mother Nature wants to do. 
That's right. We've got June gloom going on uh, in California right now, too, which is always interesting because I feel like it should be warm, but there's just like this marine layer of fog that kind of comes in, which is so interesting. Yeah, that's crazy. Like when you, we were talking before we started recording and you told me that it was that low of a temperature. I just, it blew my mind because you think of states like, you know, Florida where I'm located and out in California, you think this time of year, it's like prime summer weather. It's like a, not officially summer yet, but it, like the prelude to it's definitely there. So that's surprising. It is surprising. <laughs> <laughs> People so, coming out on their vacation and be like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm, I'm excited to talk about your, your directorial debut, uh, Hollywood.com in just a bit, but I, I did want to ask you, cause you've been in the industry for a long time. You started acting when you were seven years old. What made you want to initially get into the acting industry? Um, well, I was very young. So, um, you know, I think, uh, it's probably more my, my parents rolling stuff together than me at seven. Although I would like to say <laughs> like a little businesswoman with a briefcase, <laughs> Hello, I'm here to work. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, it was one of those things I always enjoyed acting. Um, and I think it's, it's an interesting job, um, to this day, cause you get to, explore, um, you know, different time periods and, and, um, you know, different aspects of psychology and different cultures. And so that's all very interesting. Um, and I mean, I was so young, it was, it was one of those things where I started working and then progressively kind of just, um, you know, the ball started rolling on that and I kept rolling in that direction. Um, the first movie I did was this movie education of little tree in, in Montreal that was produced by Robert Redford and um, it was a historical piece. And so that was really cool. Just being a more uh, immersed in, um, in all of the history and wearing like the, you know, the outfits from that time period. And, and, and all of that was really cool to me. Uh, even at a young age, like I recognized like, you know, how different it was to sort of be in these um, you know uh, yeah. These like immersive experiences, which, it's so funny because it just like <laughs> struck a chord. Like I love, um, um, oh, what are those called? Like when you go to the places and they do the uh, the reenactments. Like the yeah, re I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, like any of the reenactment stuff, or if you go to uh, there's a place like outside of Arkansas called Silver Dollar City, and like everyone wears the old outfits and everything. It's funny. I, I like love that stuff so much. So I wonder that part of that probably came from being on set since I was little. But um, yeah, so I mean, I just, you know, it just kept going and going and um, ended up doing some really fun projects all over the world, um, you know, works with some great people like um, Morgan Freeman and Along Came a Spider and um, Anthony Hopkins and Hearts of Atlantis and um, Charlize Theron and Bill Paxton and Mighty Joe Young, Michael Keaton and Jack Frost. Um, yeah, just just lots of lots of working. That's fantastic. And it's, it's crazy that you, know, since you were that young and you're still working in the industry, how have you seen it evolve over the years? You know, I know you started when you were very young, but what have been some changes that you've seen throughout the industry as you've gotten older and have worked in it, you know, for a longer period of time? That's such a good question. Not everyone asked that question. That's such a good question. Um, so there's been such a, oh, a kind of different, um, oh gosh, like a different perspective on, uh, film and TV and then bleeding more into the streaming and then that bleeding over into the internet stuff. So originally, um, as an actor, the film and television world were completely separated. And so it was like, if you were a film actor, you were a film actor. And if you were a TV actor, you were a TV actor, like they didn't cross over at all. And it was, it was almost like there was this hierarchy in it where they thought that audiences um, wouldn't want to, um, you know, necessarily pay to see a TV actor in a movie, which is so crazy because now, you know what I mean? Like that stuff's all mixed up. And um, so, so eventually what started happening, so it was sort of like, yeah, it was like, you know, you had to be very careful about, um, you know, what television you did or what films you did. And so um, later on though, then people started looking at it from a slightly different perspective, you know, where they're like, well, if this person has this huge TV show, then they've got this big fan base, which is potentially worth, you know, um, money and, and people coming to the theater because they really enjoy this person and connect with them. 
And so then they were like, well, and so then that started bleeding over where the TV actors were in film. And then you sort of got into this like phenomenal, which is still going on now, this phenomenal space where they were doing these limited series um, on TV and like HBO and these networks. And then so, um, you know, you started having these major movie stars come in and do a limited television series. And so that was sort of something brand new. Um, and like I just watched recently, I enjoyed it so much. Um, I watched two limited series. I watched The Undoing with um, Nicole Kidman and uh, and Hugh Grant, which was very good. That was uh, on HBO, I believe. And then I watched The Third Day with uh, Jude Law and um, uh, Emily Watson uh, on um, uh, on HBO too. And those are both limited series, you know, with like these huge movie stars, but. So then from there, it was the thing with streaming at first. So like when Netflix first came out, Netflix and streaming, uh, you know, and then Amazon and Hulu, which my new movie, Hollywood.com is on Amazon. Um, but when those first came out, people weren't quite sure what to make of them. And there was also the conflict of like, well, if streaming takes off too much, will it kill movie theaters? Like, you know, do the actors even want, like, you know, actors with um, credits and clout, like, do they even want to support that platform? But then, as we all know, you know, um, Amazon and, and Netflix and all these, um, these, these spaces started developing really interesting projects um, that, you know, gave them the foundation to be what they are now. And then it's been an interesting thing, too, because um, also as an actor, um, there was this space too, which is now kind of different, which was, there was this whole thought process with like the internet and YouTube and like the way that you presented yourself online and like as a brand that like, as an actor, you didn't want to, um, necessarily signify your personality in different directions. So that way you could like show up and, um, be seen as any sort of actor or any sort of character in a movie and it would be seamless versus someone you know knowing about like you know your personal life if you like the color blue or purple or you know where you eat dinner and all that kind of stuff and um so that was like a big thing for a while too and then that sort of has started to go out out the window and so you see all these um you know very big um established actors who you know maybe now are doing like interesting videos on youtube or doing these like AMAs on Reddit and like, you know, kind of just opening themselves up on social media and having these following. So it's, 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 it's funny because I feel like the um, things just keep kind of opening up more and more and more. And so um, I always talk about, and I, I haven't seen this personally um, in my lifetime, but I always hear people talk about how they feel like older people, they feel that the, you know, the pendulum swing, swings so far in one direction um, that eventually it kind of goes back in the other direction. And so now that everything's kind of opened up, you know, um, with people, you know, um, even these like big famous actors doing like the personality and the branding on the internet and all this stuff, it'll be interesting to see, I don't know if that's still applicable, like where it could possibly go back in the opposite direction where, you know, um, certain, um, certain mediums are really elitist or like, you know, people get really specific online. I don't know. That's interesting because I haven't really thought of it in that way about the pendulum swinging on one side and then will, you know, like one platform be considered like the, the A-list and then you have another be the more like indie level social media platform. And that, that's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the, I don't know what things hold with that. Um, I do think that it's very cool though. Um, just like my own personal thoughts on it are that, um, you know, now there's so many like different avenues, especially like as an artist to connect with people. I think it's really cool. Like it's all opened up, you know, it's not like specifically um, people doing publications just through magazines, you know, you have the podcasts and the interviews and then you know, on social media, you can connect with people directly. The streaming service is so cool. Um, you know, for me, so I started out um, for the directing, so, you know, I had my acting career. Um, and then when I started wanting to developing directing, I started out doing short films. And short films are, are a great um, exercise and avenue 
um, you know, to start developing like the whole directing world for me. But um, uh, it's it's interesting because there's not that many, um, like most of the people who are interested in watching short films are people who are already like big film connoisseurs and film buffs. So the thing that's so cool about something like streaming is you get to a more generalized audience, like, you know, like just people who like movies, people at home, like, you know, not necessarily people, um, you know, that are specifically like wanting to watch like the art house short film. So that's cool now too. Um, and I'm hoping movie theaters will come back. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they'll come back full force. No, for sure. And uh, it's funny you mentioned that because this conversation probably wouldn't be happening if not for streaming and the, you know, the explosion of, you know, other content like podcasts, like indie films, you know, you mentioning like Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, and now, you know, with HBO max and other streaming platforms, like it, it, what I love about it is that it gives creators avenues and ways to showcase their work in ways that weren't available before. The downside to it is that there's just so much that's out there. You know, I can, I've lost count of the number of conversations I've had with people like, oh, have you watched this show on Netflix? Well, no, I haven't gotten around to it yet. But if you watch this on Amazon Prime and they're like, no, I haven't got to it yet. Because there's just so much that's out there. But I, I would take that if it means giving creators the means to showcase their work. Yeah, for sure. It was interesting. So with Hollywood.com, we had, what, so what we wanted to do with our distribution, <laughs> So the movie, like, you know, the movie is so wacky um, and um, and it was such like a wacky, fun experience making it because we filmed all over. We filmed in Guatemala. We filmed in Mexico. We filmed in Texas. We filmed in Arizona, um, California. <laughs> like We filmed all over with this, which is so funny because it's such a um, uh, grandscape, uh, ambitious film for like an independent with all these locations. I was like, whose idea was this <laughs> to go to go all over the place? But um we wanted to do a um, sort of like different avenue for distribution on that too. So what we had originally set up, but things changed with the pandemic, um, is we originally, um, we did a press tour through Mexico. So not last year with the pandemic, but the year prior. And um, then we were releasing it in the theaters in Mexico. We're going to release it uh, at over 3000 theaters there. And then after releasing it in Mexico, because there's so much Spanish in the movie, then we were going to bring it to the States and release it in the theaters in the United States. Um, and then, you know, and then go to a streaming platform af after that. Um, so, but, um, and that was sort of like a different, a different avenue for distribution because generally people release domestically us first. And then they go to these international international outlets afterward. But we just thought it would be really fun since it's an independent movie. It's our movie, you know, making we get to make our own choices on it. There's no big studio head, um, you know, that we would do it that way. And, um, you know, and just, yeah, do it for a different avenue. But um, but yeah, then with the um, pandemic, we were like, well, do we want to wait? You know, how long how long do you want to wait to release the movie? And um, when will theaters open back up to full capacity? And the other question that comes into play too is when they do open back up to full capacity, um, a lot of these studios have been hanging on to their $50 million, $100 million films waiting to release them. Like when the movies are back, when the movies, movie theaters are back open at full capacity, like there's gonna be so many crazy movies in there. Like it's gonna be awesome. Um, but it's also going to, um, be hard for an independent film to come in and compete, you know, with a $50 million film that's got, you know, my goodness, who knows how much for, for press and advertising, um, you know, and all the billboards and stuff. Um, so that was the thing we're like, okay, well, let's, let's see. So a lot of people have ran through so much content right now because they've been at home. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, these streaming sites are like, you know, they're, they're, um, or these streaming platforms are buying, you know, all these foreign films up and people are starting to revisit these old TV shows that are great, but they've already watched them, you know, like revisiting like Breaking Bad or like Friends or like whatever. And so like, you know what, I think this is a really good time for um for us to release you know to release it on streaming on a platform people are home like also the movie um you know there's there's nothing 
um, in it that is too offensive in any direction. And it's like easygoing, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, there's no, there's no politics, no religion, no, um, no real violence in it, no real guns in it. So it's just, you know, you can just watch it and like relax and like, hopefully you connect to like a funny character, um, you know, that makes you like, just, yeah, just have a good time and, and escapism with all these locations get to get out of the house. <laughs> so that was our idea with it. We're like, okay, let's, so it's a, I think it's a really good time to, to release it on Amazon. Um, and so that's what we did. It's, it's worked out super well. Um, it's funny because it's like, yeah, it's, it's been doing like in the UK, like especially well, which is like very like random because I'm like, I didn't think we were specifically making any sort of like UK humor, <laughs> but I'm, I'm happy with that. That's cool. <laughs> Well, I think if if I had to guess, I think it's probably because it's so unique to the UK. Like there's nothing that makes you think UK when you're watching the movie. So if I'm living over there, I'm like, oh, this is something completely different. I want to check it out. So I, I could see it providing a, a unique appeal for, for people who live in the UK. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they get to go to Latin America, which is far away right now. <laughs> yeah. So, but um, yeah, we had fun of the film and then the film's got a lot of uh, great actors in it. They're people like from, so that I've acted with in movies over the years. And so uh, it was really important to me to put together a great cast, especially like for my directorial debut, I was like, I want to work with really great actors. I want to develop fun, cool characters. Um, I always love movies like like Grand Budapest Hotel, you know, that just have these like really like weird, wacky characters and they're doing these extreme things, but it feels so like authentic because it's well-developed and it's done by a great actor. And so um, that was important to me. So um, yeah, we've got people doing fun stuff in the movie, like Tom Arnold's in it, plays El Jade, uh, the drug lord in Mexico, who's like head of the cartel down there. <laughs> he was hilarious, by the way. Yeah, he's fun. He um, he's super cool. I I I love him a lot. He's great. He he played my dad on a TV show for two years when I was ten on the Tom Show on WB, and so that's why I like I reached out to him and was like, oh, drug lord, you play this like it'd be great, <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, uh, all right, let's do it, let's do it like a game, um, which is actually so funny because he just came out with a new TV show that he produced. Um, and uh, I have yet to watch it. It's I've got it on my list. Um, but it's uh, it's called the Drug Queen of Iowa, I believe. And it's about his sister being like a like a meth like queen queenpin kingpin in in Iowa. And it's a limited series on Discovery Plus. So I just think it's so funny though, because I'm like, oh my gosh, like the movie just came out. So like he's drug king of like in like South America she's in North America doing her drug queen stuff so it's like the Arnold's are just taking over they've just got the world on lockdown yeah they got on lockdown they're they're killing it out there so <laughs> that's probably the next show that I'll watch um but yeah it's fun so we got him um Devin Retray is in the movie which Devin's so funny Devin's been in like my gosh like just so much um he started acting at a really young age too he was Buzz in Home Alone Mm -hmm. uh, which is the older brother with the tarantula and like like wolf buzz's girlfriend all that <laughs> but um he's done so much stuff he um he just did a new steven soderbergh movie um that i don't know the title of it but they were just out in la filming it um with zoe kravitz um and uh he's in blue ruin which is an awesome independent film if you haven't seen it um nebraska um, that nominated, was nominated and won all the Oscars, the Alexander Payne film. Um, he was on Mosaic, the TV show with Sharon Stone. He was like the second lead on that. Uh, Amazon TV show, The Tick, uh, the Natasha Leone film or TV show, Russian Dolls on Netflix. He's in that too. Um, we have Herbert Russell in the movie. Herbert's really funny. Herbert, um, Herbert plays two characters in the movie. <laughs> But <laughs> you're just trying to get wacky with that. We're like, let's make it weird. <laughs> let's go weird. I mean, I think that the film really, um, you know, with independent films, you can kind of push the envelope. And so that was something like, you know, with this is like, we were not necessarily like trying to do something like bioformula or like, let's push the envelope. Like, you know, if we need to rewrite to fit the Camelin that's now available, 
Like, let's do it. Let's rewrite it. If we need to, um, you know, adjust because um, now we can get this like airplane crash scene in there, like, let's do it. And so we really kind of, um, you know, kept trying to throw in uh, whatever we, whatever we could that would add, you know, production value to it and just keep it strange. I think sometimes, um, I think sometimes like with independent films, people try to make an independent film. That's an exact copy of like a big budget film. And so they do it more formula. And I think that when you do that, you kind of lose like the spunk and like what makes an independent film, like weird, you know what I mean? Like people are independent film connoisseurs, like what makes it fun is that you can push the envelope. There is no studio head, um, you know? And so I think that um, that's one thing that um, I think that we really captured in the film that's that's fun is it's got that like quirky, you know, element to it, but um, yeah. Well, as, it reminds me of why I fell in love with movies in the first place is that you can tell so many different stories through so many different ways and you see, actors portray so many different types of emotions like don't get me wrong I, I there's a lot of big budget movies that i like but with indie movies it, it kind of takes me back to why i liked movies in the first place is that it's something you can just sit down and get lost in the world for 90 minutes two hours whatever the runtime is you could just get completely lost in the characters and in the story so that that's what i think i like the most about about Hollywood.com is that it, it reminded me a little bit of why I fell in love with movies in the first place. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, this movie was fun too. It was really special. I made it with my dad also, which is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. So um, like the Hollywood aspect in it um, was based around different experiences and different characters and stuff that I had met over the years. Uh, which was a total blast. Like I love, I think, I think one of my favorite lines in the movie is um, where uh, Devin Matray is on the phone and he's like the hotshot, you know, producer or whatever. And uh, he's on the phone. He's like, mom, like, mom, I need more money. <laughs> Can you send me more money? <laughs> and, then, and then somebody walks in and he's like, oh, very soon Beyonce. Well, <laughs> you should put a ring on it. All right, baby, snick him. See you later. And he like hangs yeah. up. Ah, it's so LA, you know? So, so LA. And then um, we had fun with this too, though, because then we opened it up to, because um, I wanted to be bigger than that. I was like, okay, like satire in Hollywood, that's cool. Write what you know. So we'll mix all of that and that'll be fun. And then my dad is a gemologist and works with gemstones. And so um, I had gone on a gem buying trip with him to Guatemala before. And when I went with him, um, we went back to this like small village and people were trying to sell him jade out of a tomb. You can actually, you can look it up if you plug in, um, there was a, it's like a business card, um, TV show type thing. If you plug in gem hunter Borum online, it'll pop up on YouTube. You can see like, there's a piece of them where they're trying to sell this enchanted piece or not enchanted, sorry, this like, like jade that I would presume is cursed because it's from a tomb. And so one of the things that they were doing culturally is they, um, when someone passes away, then they, they place the jade in the mouth. And then as the jade or as the soul leaves the body, it passes through the jade. And then somehow that like connects with, you know, the afterlife or whatever, um, you know, happens. Um, and so they had this jade that was coming out of people's mouths <laughs> that they were selling. And I was like, wait, so potentially like a soul pass through there what <laughs> I was like no I think that's okay like I don't think we need that but um so for the movie that's where the enchanted jade came from was from that jade buying experience in Guatemala because that always stuck with me because I was like whoa that's wacky like um that would be fun to put in and then um yeah and then all the adventure stuff over there uh he speaks fluent Spanish and travels around a lot over there so um but then um yeah, we also both really, really like uh, Romancing the Stone and like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like those are some of my like old time favorite films. So I was like, oh, like it'd be fun. It'd be fun to do a movie like that, you know? So it's kind of like a little bit influenced off of that too. Yeah, and it's cool in the sense that the story evolves into something much bigger over time and not to get into too many spoilers, but you know, what appealed to me about the movie was that uh, I've always been fascinated by the almost movie within a movie 
type of storyline where someone's playing an aspiring actor or an actor that's trying to get some type of a role because it's interesting to see how that's portrayed on screen but then this evolves into something that's so much bigger so you end up having a, a lot of fun with it and yeah you mentioning you know Raiders of the Lost Ark which is one of the greatest adventure stories ever told on screen it, you know seeing elements of that and uh, you mentioning the the camel earlier that that made me laugh out loud like I was watching the movie this morning and just seeing this camel just run across screen just was like that's so wacky and so cool I, I had so much fun watching the movie. Awesome. Awesome. I think too, also like in the beginning of the movie, um, Paige Howard's character, which she plays Veronica Lake, the, the hotshot producer woman. Um, mm -hmm. I think that that kind of, you know, sets up the film too. In the, in the scene where she's talking about, you know, like just going for things and getting out there and like being a predator and taking the opportunity. <laughs> like, so I think that that's kind of, um, sort of like a motto that comes into play with the movie too is you have all these wacky characters that for better or worse they go for the opportunity you know and for some it turns out better some turns out worse um but um but all of them are all of them are trying in their own way and sometimes that's the important thing yeah <laughs> well, I, I strongly believe that if you just um you know i think that if people have something like if you want to make something you want to make a movie or or whatever it is that you want to do for a project, especially, you know, if it's, um, you know, writing or artistic or whatever, if you just start going for it and you start making something, you start trying, um, you can always streamline, perfect and, and whatever else later on, but you, you get the ball rolling, you know? Um, and I think that that's the, the most important thing for any sort of, you know, endeavor that you could have or any sort of like dream that you could have is just to, to start going on it and don't wait, you know what I mean? Don't wait for the perfect time. Don't wait for the perfect, you know, for everything to be set up. Like you have to just start doing it. And if it doesn't go smoothly the first time you try it or the first couple of times you try it, it's okay. You just keep working at it and eventually you'll get it. Exactly. Exactly. But if you don't work at it, then nothing will happen. <laughs> yeah, true. You know, you I mean, just doing it. It's just like this podcast, you know, I've, I've made several mistakes with it but at times half the fun can be learning through failure and learning through mistakes because i think it's the best way to learn absolutely absolutely because you're always progressing mm -hmm. you know even a failure at that point is still like it's still progression um you know you're you're moving towards something you're that much closer um i also th think that there's something too um there's something magical about like if you get going into a project or something that you like or that you're passionate about there's just some sort of um, innate feeling that other people can pick up too. And I feel like it naturally like makes people want to know more about it, get involved or, or help or, or something like that, because they hear that you're putting in the work. And, and if you're putting in the work on something, I think it um, inspires other people to do the same. For sure. Because it's, it's like the sense of you look at someone and you say, oh, well, they did it. So I should be able to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I can't remember exactly where I heard this quote from, but, uh, and I'm paraphrasing it a little bit when I say it, but someone said that they don't look at failure as failure. They look at it as opportunity where there's success, there's opportunity. So I, I, I think, you know, a lot of people just, they get frozen with the fear of things not working that they end up not doing it. But Sometimes failure is fun. Sometimes it's not, but sometimes it is. <laughs> sometimes it's not. <laughs> well, there's, there's been plenty of times where it hasn't been, but some, yeah, sometimes, but... It's like I said, sometimes half the fun is learning through things going wrong because then you learn what not to do. You learn what not to do, but also, um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I just think, um, I think it's all about just moving things, you know, you just keep, keep moving, keep doing stuff. Um, and the energy on that, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> they just go for it and make stuff. I hear a lot of people with, um, with films, you know, um, cause you know, like to, to put a film together, a lot of like independent filmmakers and stuff that they're, you know, they want everything to be, get, be like absolutely perfect before they get started. And so they never get started or, um, yeah, they just look at there's too many walls 
one thing that we did with this movie that was really cool too, um, um, that I think is a good um, thing for, for people who um, want to do independent filmmaking is um, we adjusted the script to um, things that were available to us. You know, like I was mentioning before, like if there's the camel or like these things that add to the story um, or like my dad's a pilot. So, you know, we had the airplane in the, in the, in the movie and um, you know, he's hot wiring and all these things that we like know about. So if you write to things that you have or that, you know, um, then it makes it, you know, that you have access to, it makes it easier to, um, make things more dynamic than like, say, if you're going to make your independent film and it's about um, astronauts, like in a spaceship somewhere, like unless you are able to build that out somehow, like it's just so much more complicated, you know? Um, so I think that that's like an important, um, you know, thing that can be really helpful if you're trying to put together your own, your own movie is, is okay. So like, you know, what, um, you know, what, what can I, what can I do that would be dynamic, but that I like, you know, can gather up um, and wouldn't be too crazy. Well, yeah, you definitely use the, the resources that you have access to, because if you have something that you think might be really cool, you know, don't be afraid to use it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And get everybody that you know, that you respect, that's awesome. Get them involved. Every one of them, <laughs> every one of them, this movie, I mean, the movies has, so it has those actors that I mentioned, which are awesome. And a lot more actors that are great. Um, Billy Bob Thornton does a cameo in the movie and gave us, um, you know, the box masters, the box masters band, which is um, um, yeah, him with a great group of guys. They gave us a couple of songs that got the cameo in the movie. So that's fun. Um, Lendl Black, our composer, he's won a couple of Emmys for his work. Um, he writes uh, orchestra music for Yamaha Instruments. Um, we have um, uh, a great editor, Anna Crane, who did our editing on the film. And then for a polishing pass on the film, we had um, Kevin Ross, who uh, has Emmys for Stranger Things. He was on Californication. Uh, he's on Shameless. So we had him come through for the editing and just like look at things, critique things. So, I mean, you know, when you have access to people um, that you respect that you think are great artists, like get them involved, try to, you know, try to grab them um, as much as you can. Cause that was another thing with this is people were excited. They liked the project and um, you know, they're passionate about it. And I think they could tell that I was passionate about it. So I just, you know, snagged them. I was like, get in here, <laughs> get in here, get in here, come be a part of this. We had, um, uh, a family friend who, um, is a Foley artist and he's done over 200 movies. Like he did the professional, the Natalie Portman movie where she has, um, the little plant, like her first movie mm -hmm. It's also called like Leon. Um, he came over from France and, uh, we worked on the Foley together. He did the Foley for like 10 days in the studio out here in California and he does it all by hand. Um, and he's just like this crazy, amazing artist who um, he, you know, was like, well, what if, because it's it's comedy and it's slapstick, like what if we overemphasize all of the Foley sounds, which Foley for anyone listening who doesn't know, um, Foley are practical sounds. So Foley's like, uh, if someone's walking, like the footsteps are redone. If someone sits in the chair, um, that's like a different um, motion sound. Um, if someone like, like our uh, hotshot producer, Devin, he's like talking, he's got all these chains. And so we like made it so that they jingle every time he moves. Um, Paige Howard, when she's in the scene with me um, in the, in the beginning um, where she's moving closer to me to tell me this aggressive thing about how you have to go for opportunities as she moves over, we made her chair, like, just like super, like squeak, squeak, the couch is moving, the couch is moving, like, <laughs> just like too much. And so, that was like another character and flavor that we added into the film um, just to give it like another sort of fun artesian layer, um, you know, um, and add more artistry in there. The color correction on the film, um, we had um, um, this one color correction uh, friend who is awesome. He did Die Hard. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, like one of my all-time favorite movies. And so we were really specific with the color correction in the film too. So like when you're in Los Angeles and you're in Hollywood, everything is blue and cool tones. And then when you get to Latin America, everything is uh, warm and more saturated in red tones. 
And um, we did that so that when you watch the movie and you're going back and forth between the two storylines, um, like the two different locations, subconsciously you pick up on where you are because of those color schemes. Um, and so, yeah, so we developed that out. And that's an interesting thing too, because when you do the color correction with stuff like that, you have to start thinking about that from the very beginning when you're putting um, the sets together and the locations, because if you want to, and like the actor's wardrobe as well, because if you want to pull up those like cool or those blue tones, um, say for like the section we are in Los Angeles, if you dressed all the actors in reds and warm colors, or you had like, you know, maybe like a terracotta wall and that kind of stuff, when you go to make them these cool and blue tones, it'll be a lot harder and won't come out um, like you want it to, because there's nothing to really kind of pull up from that. And then, and then the same for like, you know, the Latin America, if you, if you, um, you know, uh, didn't think about that beforehand. So those are all sort of, um, you know, interesting discussions to have about, um, you know, these like color schemes and stuff before you make the movie too. For sure. No, and that's, that's actually really enlightening to know, especially for those who, you know, are aspiring filmmakers who are even currently working in film, you know, little details like that are things that you might not even think about when you're coming up with you know, your plan or whatever the case may be. So, you know, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. Pre-production, pre-production. Yeah. yeah try to like think about it all. Um, yeah. I mean, I, um, yeah, one of the big things on this was just like finding people that I respect and like, <laughs> you know, um, and getting their, getting their input on it. I think, um, you know, like for, for directing stuff, um, it's cool. Cause you're involved from the very beginning and to the very end of the film, you know, and like on this, I was involved with the distribution on it. And so, um, you know, and you're one of the first people there in the morning, last one, last one to ever leave. Um, but, um, you know, I always think that if you bring on great people, like with the actors and these different, um, you know, crew members, I was just talking about, then, you know, as a director, you have to try to um, make sure everyone's always on the same page for the narrative so that it matches, um, you know, or the same theme so that it matches with this, with the story you're trying to tell, but also just let the, let these people do what they do. You know, if you hire people that are great at what they do, um, I don't try to like micromanage them at all. <laughs> I'm like, you're awesome. Like, okay, we'll make sure that everybody's on the same page, but that's really cool. Um, and um, yeah, I like the collaboration of it all. It's my favorite part of filmmaking is the collaboration. I I've said this ad nauseum, so the listeners are probably tired of me saying it, but the best thing about film is when you can gather a group of people, they might be from different parts of the world. They might have different you know, opinions on things. They might disagree on nine out of 10 things they would talk about, but they all come together for this one common goal of making a film, whether it's a short or a feature, because both are extremely demanding and a lot of work, but there's no greater reward than seeing the final product done. For sure. Absolutely. It's an interesting medium too, because um, it has so many layers. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got the, um, yeah, you've got the visual layer, you have the sound, like it's an immersive art form um, with all these different layers. And what you're talking about, like with a whole group coming together, a whole group of artists, um, it's, it's hard to, to find um, another art piece where you have that many completely different artists that do different things, you know, um, that come together collectively to make one thing. That's an immersive experience. Like it's just, it's, yeah, it's a crazy art form. It's very cool. And that's why I say, you know, no disrespect to sculptors or painters. That's why I consider film to be the greatest art form that there is because of the immense time that you put into it. And there's so many different layers, so many different areas of film that you work in. That's why I, like, I look at film as just being, you're so impressive. Like every film to me is a miracle in a way because of the work that it takes to get it done. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It was interesting for this one as well, because since it was an independent film and we had all these working actors on it, um, we had to schedule around 
their schedules because <laughs> they're all in these like different projects and different commitments and TV show commitments. And um, so it, it took a little bit longer to film because of that. And then, you know, just being involved in so many different um, sections of the crew too, with these, with these different locations, you know? Um, and also, you know, with being an independent film, like I wanted to film in the Yuma sand dunes, but the Yuma sand dunes, uh, you can only film in and have that really cool, pristine look when it's extremely hot. <laughs> so like, if you go there other times of the year, the people are doing the off-roading, they're doing the ATVs, all of that. So to have um, that sort of just vast, like, wow, um, you know, striking um, untouched sand dune, like you have to go there in the, in the heat. So we had to wait for that time period and then go out there and we had everything overheating and like, um, you know, it was, it was just funny. It was funny trying to douse everyone in sunscreen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. But uh, as, as we start to wrap up here, I did want to ask you, uh, do you have any other projects that you're working on that you like to talk about? I do. I do. I've got a lot of stuff in the works. I'm not sure which one I'm directly going to roll in next because it's interesting with the with the pandemic right now. It's sort of moved things around. Also, it's um, right now with filming, it's, you know, still kind of the pods going on um, with people separated. Um, but um, during the pandemic, I was actually able to shoot a music video um, that's really awesome that everyone should check out. It's uh, called The Song is Catch Me If You Can. The artist is Travis Tidwell, which is the last name is spelled like Didwell. Um, the music video uh, went up on country music television. And then just last week we found out um, it's nominated for music video of the year for the Josie Awards, which um, from my understanding is the largest independent music awards. Um, okay. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, I'm excited about that. So, um, and hopefully get to, you know, like <laughs> the pandemic, everything stays open. Hopefully get to go to the award show uh, in Tennessee in September. That's fantastic. Very cool. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. Um, and then beyond that, there's a, a series of uh, educational children's films um, that I've been putting together. And so I've got those written out. Um, and so we're just figuring out about the exact films, filming schedule on that um, country music documentary. Um, which will probably be the next one that I move into because uh, it's a little bit more contained with like the archive footage and then like the, you know, the more like singular interviews of people's stories. Um, so that'll probably be the next one. That'll be the, the, the easiest to film. And I've got a huge historical piece that I'm really excited about. That one's like, <laughs> that one's like a really, a really big thing to film. So we'll see right now with the pandemic. It's, it's uh, that one's like a boy in the 1920s jumping trains traveling south. Oh, that sounds actually really cool. Yeah, it's going to be yeah. awesome. It's going to be awesome. It's based off of a true story, um, historical piece, like, and just amazing, amazing, um, uh, you know, heartfelt um, characters in there as he travels to each one of these new locations and learns something about himself and learns something about people and like progressively grows up through the process. Well, that, that sounds really interesting. I, I love historical pieces like that. And plus it being a true story is, is even more appealing, but it sounds like you've got like a variety of stuff in the works, which is always fun. Yeah. I'm interested in everything. I yeah. like everything. I stay focused. I'm, I'm, um, I'm aware to, to stay focused on, you know, specific things I can accomplish stuff, but I, but my, my interests vary so much. That's great though. I mean, it's always something to do if that's the case. Yeah. <laughs> It's true. I don't, uh, I don't get bored. No, that's good. That's very good though. Uh, and last thing I wanted to ask you before we get out of here, do you have a website or social media you'd like to plug so the listeners can follow you? Yeah. Um, so um, on all the social media platforms is just under my name, um, which is M-I-K-A-B-O-O-R-E-M. And then I've got a website, which is just also under that mikaborum.com. And um, for the movie, you can check out some really fun stuff. So the movie Hollywood.com is on Amazon. Um, and we've got some fun stuff up on uh, our website, which is HollywoodCon.net. And there's behind the scenes photos, all of that. Also, also because not everyone gets the name. So the movie's called Hollywood.con because it's about con artists 
in Hollywood making a movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, we were just trying to think of something. We're like, what, um, you know, what's a different name when you plug it in online that doesn't get mixed up with anything else? And so we're like, okay, we love it. It's weird. We can do it. <laughs> and so. it makes perfect sense too. And it just, I think throwing the dot in there, like when I saw the title for the first time, I was like, oh, that sounds really interesting. And then after watching the movie, I'm like, it makes total sense. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Also, Dude, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, no, I, I very much enjoyed it. And uh, Mika, thank you so much for taking the time to do the show. This was great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks again to Mika Boren for that awesome conversation. Be sure to check out Hollywood.com on Amazon Prime and follow her on social media to find out what she'll be up to next. For next week's show, I'll be chatting with actor Jared Bankins. He'll be coming on the show to talk about his latest film, We All Think We're Special. And he also appeared in the Venom movie a couple of years ago. So he's got some great stories about how he got attached to that movie and his time making it, as well as some other projects that he's worked on. Really fun conversation. Be sure to come back next week for that really fun episode. And speaking of Marvel, you all know Venom. He's a Marvel character. It's the return of the top five list. And as voted on by you, the Patreon subscribers, we'll be doing top five post-credit scenes from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. All the Marvel-related lists have been really difficult to do. I can't imagine that this is going to be any different. Uh, Be sure to check out my social media. I'll be posting a thread where you can all leave your list, and I will read them on the show next week. But until then, you can check out past episodes of this show on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts for free. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. And if you could, please leave a review. The more reviews I get, the more visible I become to the podcasting public. You can also follow me on social media. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Podcast. I'm also on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. And of course, thank you to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music. For the podcast, you can check out all their music on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. That's going to do it for this week's show, so enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I'm your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday. <laughs>